Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12. And, and in the passage we are in today, we are looking at a lyric to a song. What we are seeing is, is David's song of thanks. And, and we're, we're zeroing in on one lyric of this song. And, and what's actually kind of incredible about this song is you can actually find it in the book of Psalms. Split up into two songs. Psalm 105 and 106. And in this, this lyric, what David is doing is calling his listeners who are listening to this song or who are reading this song to remember God. To remember God. He's telling them to remember his wondrous works. He's he's telling them to remember his miracles. To remember the judgments that God himself has uttered. Verse 12 reads this. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and the judgments he uttered. Father, we ask this morning that you would reveal yourself to us. God, that you wouldn't be distant from us, but but that you would be as close as we can possibly comprehend. God, we ask that that your word, since it is sharper than any two-edged sword that mankind knows, that what you would do today is that your word would conduct surgery on our hearts. Cutting and slicing away all of the hard parts, all of the infected and sinful areas. And that what you would do is, is that your, your love would slowly start to bind us back together. I pray for my brother and sister this morning, God, that you would encourage them and give them hope. That you would convict them of their sin if need be. That you would reveal yourself to the hard-hearted person who's just totally against your ways. And that any of those that have been just playing a religious game with you, that you would show them that you are so much more than just a bunch of rules to follow. You want to be known. You want an intimate relationship. And so I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. It truly is the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I, I love Christmas. I don't know what it is about this time of the year. Maybe it's because you go from just stuffing your face with a bunch of food um, and then getting a bunch of presents, or at least that's my childhood that, that I remember. But for whatever reason, I just love it all. Like, like it's, it's crazy. I'm one of those crazy people that start to play Christmas music before um, Thanksgiving, right? And so now some of you are like, oh, I'm totally not going to listen to what he has to say now. I can't trust anything. 
But I, I, I love it. Like, like my parents used to have these little figurines. I think they still do of just a bunch of Santa Clauses that we would, we would put around the house that they were given. Um, we, would, we would put up all of our, our paintings and drawings that we would make throughout the years of kindergarten and first grade and second grade. And, and for me, then it was still senior year of high school. Um, <laughs> And it's just, it's just awesome. There's just something about this, this time of the year that seems to, to, to bring out this, this, uh, this joy in, in people's hearts. But what's also incredibly interesting is, is that we've got this saying, it's, you know, the, the, there's the reason for the season. However, I don't know if we really even understand the reason for the season anymore. Um, like, like, during this season, one of the things that as Christians we love to do is now go through the checkouts and, and hear for the person to say happy holidays just so we could say Merry Christmas, I got you this year. And then never say it again the rest of the year. And so what is the reason for the season? And does the reason for the season, is it just confined to a season or is it much larger than just a season in a, in a month. You see, what we're doing here at Community Church is we are going through what is called Advent. Now, Advent is a Latin word that I don't want to butcher, but it means arrival or coming. And so what we're trying to do through this kind of little series called Remembering God is specifically take some time to remember God's coming. And that's why last week I preached on remembering. And this week, now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's wondrous works. However, there's, there's this problem that's inside of all of us. It's called our, our human nature. It's called our, our flesh, our indwelling Sin and, and so the, the name of the game of our human nature is to distract us. It's, it's to cause us to forget it. It actually wants to act like, like fool's gold on the ground where it's shiny, where it catches our attention. We look down and we, we look up and kind of think, oh, what, what, was, what was I doing? But, but God actually calls us to be people that remember Him. Like there's, there's no two ways about it. If you read from Genesis to Revelation, what you will see God doing is calling his people to be rememberers of him. And so what I want to briefly do is just recap last week. Well, uh, hopefully briefly. <laughs> and then what I want to do is, is take an intentional look at one of the wondrous works that Israel, the Jewish people, would have looked back to remember. And so last week, what we did is we just built this framework of remembering. Why is it important that we remember? Well, the first reason is because God remembers. And this is incredible news. This is great and glorious news for humankind. Because man rebelled against God. And instead of God saying, okay, you know what? I'm going to leave you to be. I'm just going to watch you guys implode on yourself. And then what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start over once you guys are done just acting a fool. But 
this should also cause us to tremble because God is a God who remembers all things. There's not one thing that he does not remember. Hosea tells us, as Hosea and God are kind of having this conversation, that, that man's evil surrounds God. Let's let that sink in a little bit. Our evil surrounds the presence of God. Like like our evil is before his face. He sees it all and he remembers it all. And this is a terrible and frightening thing for mankind. But yet it is is the, the just reaction of man's sinful action in the garden. Because of Adam and Eve disobeying God. All God sees in his image bearers now is sin. That's all he remembers. It's all he remembers. And and the terrible thing about this is that the the people who die apart from knowing Jesus Christ as, as their Savior experiences the wrath of God. But this is the incredible thing. It's that God just doesn't remember people's sins, but but he remembers the covenants or the promises that he has established with mankind. Because when Adam and Eve fell and they sinned and rebelled against God, God right away gave them a promise. He said, I'm, I'm going to send an offspring through the woman to crush, to, to kill the, the serpent, the one that caused you or deceived you. And so what God does from then on out is he looks at that promise, remembers that promise, and continues to set up different promises or what the Bible calls covenants to reconcile his people back to himself. Uh, in, a, in, a, in the Jesus Storybook Bible, the, 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 this is what Sharice and I read to Haddon every, every single night. She, she has, um, Sally Lloyd-Jones has this way of talking about God's Never stopping, never giving up, always, forever, love. And that's what we see God doing by remembering his people. Is we're seeing his never stopping, never giving up, always and forever type of love. And so what God does throughout history by remembering his people establishes these promises and continues to remind his people, I'm making a way for you to come back to me. I'm making a way. And what happens is we ultimately see this in his son Jesus' life that God himself comes down in the form of flesh to rescue his people back because we have a God who remembers his people. This is incredible. 
an infinite, vast God remembers us. And so, because God is a God who remembers, He calls His people, His image bearers, to be people who remembers. And so, not only does He establish these promises and these covenants, but what he does is he actually tells his people now, now that I've established these promises, look back to these promises and remember me. Because when we're able to look back and remember the promises of God, we are able to look back and see how God has been faithful despite where I am right now. Which can be an excruciating thing when I'm dealing with pain and anger and hurt. I can't look to myself or, or, or to outward um, things during those times. But God has given us these promises to look back and remember that although this world is chaotic and full of sin, He has remained the same today, yesterday, and forever. God gives his people these promises to remember because he knows that these things of the world are going to be so present. Job security, money, status, toys, uh, even sports teams. They want to distract us from God. They want us to cause us to forget our first love. And so, God calls us to remember Him in a few ways. He, causes, he, he tells us to, to look back and remember the past. R remember my promises that I've given you. He tells us then, while looking backwards, to look to the future. That there will be a second coming. There is a time when, when I will come back and judge the living and the dead. And that then gives us urgency to look and remember the present. That now, as a person of God, as a child of God, as a co-heir to the kingdom, now I am called to live a holy life that is separate from this world, then I'm to make him, know, make him known to everyone. So that way they can join and be a part of the people of God. Let me put it to you like this. This, this really um, uh, rough, structured illustration. It's like a, a guy in, uh, you're walking down the street and a guy comes up with you and he pulls out a piece of paper and it's a treasure map, right? Hang with me. Um, and he tells you, you have 30 seconds to memorize this entire treasure map. This, this, this entire map, you have 30 seconds to memorize. And if you memorize and remember all of it, it will take you to a treasure that far surpasses anything that Indiana Jones has ever gotten. And so you, you memorize the, the map. You are diligent to know the map. You, you want to, to eat, sleep, and breathe the map so that just in that 30 seconds that you could, you could be woken up at 3 a.m. and rattle off where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do, and how you're supposed to get there. 
And when you get to the treasure, you see this treasure and you see that this is the most beautiful and amazing treasure that I've ever seen and laid eyes on. I can't just keep this to myself. So you call up your wife or, or your husband or your children or, or your aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, whatever. And you start telling them over the phone, okay, this is what you have to do. This is where you have to go. This is, how, this is what the treasure is like. Come and join me and be a part of the treasure. Guys, we have the map. And the treasure is God himself. And God has actually laid out the map for us. But, and please listen closely here. As soon as we start to forget the map, we start to forget the treasure. And as soon as we start to forget the treasure, we stop telling people about the treasure. We stop living like there is a treasure. We were made to have this treasure, to know this treasure, to be a people that are coming together because of this great treasure. And so this brings us to remembering the wondrous works that he has done. We are to be a people that remember. What do we remember though? Well, one of the primary wondrous works that we see God's people in the Old Testament remember is how God had delivered them from slavery to Egypt. You see, this is an amazing account because at this time, Israel was vast. Like, they were seriously having children left and right. And God had made a promise to Abraham telling him, Look, if you look up at the stars, that's how much your offspring is going to be. And I'm going to give them a land. And so what God does is at this time Israel is in slavery and he rescues them. And he tells them once he brings them out of Egypt, remember, look, look, you, you yourself, you saw what I did for you. Now, if you obey me, you will be my treasured people and I will give you a kingdom. And so, it's exactly what God does. He brings them through the wilderness. He fights for them. And he brings them to this beautiful land, this, this new kingdom. And he wants them to be a separate people so that way he can use them to display his glory. But you see, this is where it starts, this relationship between Israel and God, where this remembering and forgetting and remembering and forgetting happens. Because we even see that the first generation that was brought out of Egypt doesn't get to go to the promised land because they forgot God. 
And we actually see that Moses himself, the mouthpiece of God for this people, doesn't get to go into the land because he didn't listen to God. And so right before, right, this is, this is what's incredible about this. Right before Israel goes into the land that they were promised, Moses tells them this. He, he, he says, Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then later on, he goes on to say, And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today, that you shall surely perish. God's people are to be a people that remember God. It's, it's right there in front of us. Don't forget God. Don't chase after other gods. Don't chase after idols of this world because they won't satisfy you. And, and if you do, look, you're going to perish. That's what Moses is telling them. Remember God, obey God, and receive the blessings of God. Forget God, worship idols, and perish. And so Moses gives them this warning, and they enter into this land that's flowing with milk and honey, this, this kingdom. And so God establishes Israel and he, he sets them apart as this, this great people. And Israel actually starts to experience peace because nobody wants to mess with them. Everybody is completely freaked out because David was just slaying people and taking names. And so nobody wants to mess with Israel at all. Not only that, but now economically, uh, Israel is booming. So no longer are they going to Applebee's and getting the two for 20, but the whole family can sit down and actually get a whole meal. Like life for Israel is good. They're in freedom. They were slaves brought out of slavery, set apart to be a distinct people to display the glory of God. And they're in freedom now. And so then God tells them, okay, build me a temple. Build me a temple that is vast and far superior of anything that's ever been built. So that when all of the other nations look at you, they see me. They see me and they marvel and they're amazed at what I have done for you. So the temple is built. And then after a while, because we are not yet totally perfected, comfort sets in. And once comfort starts to set in, our minds can tend to slay, uh, sway and drift from remembering the God that has saved us. And what happens? Israel goes to freedom, to forgetting. And what they do is 
start to worship false gods. They start to chase after idols. They forget the God that delivered them from slavery. What ends up happening is Israel ends up, we end up seeing the the biggest church split in history. And because of that, Israel is actually captured and they're thrown into exile, which means expelled, which this isn't actually the first time that this happens. Happens back in the garden when God exiles Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. And so God needs to take his people and exile, expel them from the land, from his land that he gave them. And what happens to Israel is they go from the, the big dogs on top to the laughing stock of all of the nations. They, they were once the lions that were roaring proudly to now the little kittens, you know, that crawl up your pants legs and you just kind of try to shake them off. That's what Israel was like, That's what Israel was like now. It was crazy, messy. I mean, who, who would have thought? So we started out with, with seeing Moses' call. Don't forget. Don't forget. Remember the God that has delivered you from slavery. Don't forget. And if you forget, guys, you will perish. Don't forget. And so we see... Israel going from remembering to forgetting. And who would have thought that there would have been such serious consequences? But there are serious consequences because sin has serious consequences. But it's not as if God has has some type of delight or joy in having to exile and expel his people. Jeremiah um, chapter 2 is heartbreaking. I'm going to just, I'm going to turn there quickly. I mean, you can, you can hear the heart of God that it's broken over his people. Chapter 2 verse 32, can a virgin forget her ornaments? Or a bride, her attire, yet my people, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. I mean, what, what, what's being said right here is you, you're remembering things of this world? The, the things of this world you're remembering, but you've forgotten me days Not even days, but days without number. There's a day that's gone by where these people have remembered God. It's been years. And here God is saying, you guys guys have forgotten about me. You, You care so much about your things, but yet you don't even remember me? And so this is the serious question that we need to ask ourselves right now. And this is, this is one of my biggest burdens. If there is one thing that keeps me up at night other than my, my 14-month-old child, it's probably this. I, I had to filter myself because I was going to... Never mind. Um, <laughs> uh, 
you know, one of, this, this is, this is something that frightens me. Do we remember the good news? The gospel? It seems like we live in such a time where, where it's, it's, it's like, we believe that the gospel is only for those that don't know Jesus. And, and then believe like, okay, I've got the gospel and now I need to move on to something else. So, so, so let's, let's go ahead and talk about something else. But, but don't you know that, that just like God was telling his people, remember when I freed you from slavery to Egypt, he also tells his children right now, remember I freed you from slavery to sin? The gospel just isn't for unbelievers. The gospel is for the child of God every single day. And what my fear is, is that we just go right now in our time. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I know the gospel. That's great. Yeah, Jesus died for me. He, he did all of those things. That's awesome. Sweet, cool. What's next? What about that one theology thing? What is it called? A superlapsarianism, that, that thing? Or, or, or what about the, the coming back of Jesus? Let's just really talk about that because that's more important than the gospel. Brothers and sisters, it's the, the gospel is what has saved you. The gospel is what keeps you. And right now, the gospel is what transforms you daily. It's not just a one-time touch and then get over it. It's a consistent daily thing that we have to pursue. So do we remember the gospel? Or have we forgotten it? And so how we see Israel live now is in exile. They're expelled from the kingdom. Which like I mentioned before is very similar to Adam and Eve being expelled or exiled from the garden. And this is still the theme that Peter picks up in, in 1 Peter. That you are exiles, sojourners of this world. Do you know that right now, we are exiles of this world? See, but there's, there's a, a twist to it. I don't want to go too deep into it because I don't have the, the time but Jesus says, though the kingdom of God is actually at hand, the kingdom of God is here. And so when you are a child of God, you're, you're spiritually actually in the kingdom of God, but physically we're still here, not totally already there yet. It's called the, the already not yet. So we're already a part of the kingdom of God, but yet not yet there fully. And so our physical bodies are still here, wasting away. Which means our minds and brains are still here, wasting away. And so we are exiles that need to pursue remembering God daily. That's why here at the Sunday service... We do everything we possibly can to focus ourselves on the Word of God. 
That's why we, we have a, a, a call to worship or a, a confession and a reading response and a, and a sermon and songs and all of those things because we are trying to create an atmosphere that is intentionally about remembering God, remembering the gospel. And so, so we want this to be as consistent as possible where it's when we show up on Sunday, we know what we're doing. We're remembering God. And what he has done for us. And now how we are to live because of that. But this is only one day for an hour and 15, an hour and 30 minutes. Depending on, on how the music goes. I won't say the preaching because. This isn't enough. This, does, will, this will not get you through the week. And so, let me just, let me just put it to you this way. If, if you believe that, that you showing up only on Sundays, only to be filled once a week for an hour and 15, an hour and 30 minutes is enough, what I would like to challenge you to do is tomorrow morning, only eat breakfast, and for the next six days until Monday comes, don't eat ever again. Actually, don't do that because I might be charged with murder. Um, but if, if we are only gathering on Sundays to, to fill up our cups, but the rest of the week never doing anything about it to remember God, look, we are going to starve. And we weren't meant to starve, but we were meant to feast and to enjoy it in abundance. And so that's why, that's why we need to live in community throughout the week. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. That's why we need to gather together throughout the week at each other's homes and, and for coffee or, I mean, that might be too young of a thing, but never mind. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> but even even gathering together for board games. Cuz to go for walks. Just to be together. Cuz we as individuals, we aren't made to walk this journey alone. That's why we see that it's a people of God, not individuals of God. The individuals make the people, yes. But when we try to walk this life alone, look guys, it's hard. There's burdens that come. That's why we need one body to be helping To be communicating this beautiful reality of remembering. This week has been an excruciating, messy, painful, and crazy week for Sharice and I. 
on, on Tuesday, um, Sharice left to go and bring her, her brother-in-law and sister-in-law who live in Arizona back to the airport in Milwaukee at 2. And, and I was out of the house um, uh, from 2 until Sharice got back. And when Sharice got back and um, she opened the door to our house, um, what, we, what, what she found was that our house was turned into a water park. The upstairs tank toilet had been overflowing for five hours straight. 1,400 gallons of water ended up coming out. And so Sharice is sitting there. She, is, um, she leaves Haddon in the car because Haddon's sleeping. She goes, checks it out. She brings Haddon back out. Now Haddon is crying because, at least this is what I was told, okay? Haddon is crying now. I trust my wife. Um, Haddon is crying now. Shreese is upstairs trying to turn the turn valve off with a crying child in one hand um, and probably like three or four inches of water because it was just leaking from the ceiling down to the next bathroom, down to the basement. And so I'm on my way home. She calls me and, and, and tells me what's going on. I say, okay, go ahead and get the landlords. And, and all of this craziness is just going on. And so what ends up happening is, is um, Todd and Wendy allowed Sharice and Haddon to spend the night at their house. And in my pride, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here. See, what happens when water damage goes on is they need to get a ton of industrial fans, like crazy ton. I think we have like at least two dozen in our, in our duplex right now of industrial fans, which makes it incredibly loud. And I don't like loud things. So with all of that on top of it, now Sharice and Hannah are gone. People come over at about eight to drill holes through our ceiling, set up these industrial fans, cut out stuff that they need to cut out, start drying it out. And I am now sitting on our, our ottoman thinking to myself, Okay, there are two ways that I can go at this. One of the ways is indulge in my anger, which I had already started indulging in because I'm the type of person that when I get really angry, I just don't, I don't have the outburst. I get really, really quiet. And so I'm sitting there on our autumn and thinking, great, now I have to preach a sermon series called Remembering God when right now all I want to do is just cuss at someone. Like that's what I'm thinking. I'm upset. Why in the world does this have to happen? And so it happened and, and I'm thinking about it throughout a couple of days. And as this is starting to happen and unfold, now Haddon has a fever and, and, a, and a bad cough. And all of this now is like, okay, we have a sick child. We have a house that is really noisy. Why couldn't it have just been one or the other God? Why does it have to be both? And immediately, once again, my mind starts going back to, well, Max, you know, you could just remember God. You could remember God. And what my mind starts to go to, well, at least it's not as bad as somebody else. At least we have a home. Which, guys, we need to stop doing that. Because when we start saying, well, at least it's not as bad as this person, it's always in the back of our mind that we know, well, there's still someone always who's got it better than me. And that will always leave you in a pit of despair. 
And so how I would like to conclude this is like this. Do we remember God? Do we remember the gospel in our stressful trials? When temptations come our way, do we remember God? Do we remember the gospel? I'm not saying just assume it. We all know what assuming does. I'm saying actually know it. Because when I started to remember the gospel, when I was really angry this past week, what started happening is I started remembering I'm a sinful human still. But the Father loves me and sent His Son to die for me. Which means I'm no longer an enemy of God, but now I'm a child of God. I'm a co-heir to the kingdom. Which then means money and things will waste away, but what God has said will stand forever. And that I'll be in glory one day and never have to experience an overflowing toilet. But when I start to remember, at least I'm not like this person, it's so easy to get judgmental and think, well, this person has that. Why is that so? And so what I want to ask us to do is this. One, if, if you don't know the gospel, if you don't actually know the gospel, like we can't just sit here and, and think we know the gospel. We actually have to know the gospel. We have to know God. If you don't know it, I'm going to be up here. I'm going to, I've, I've been trying to... To be, I've been trying to, after every service, to be up here. That way, if anyone has questions, they can come and ask questions. So if you don't know the gospel like you think you do, I'm going to be right here. Or we can set up a meeting sometime this week. Or if you want to ask somebody that you really know knows the gospel, then find them and talk to them. But if, if you are convinced that you know the gospel, and, and you really do know the gospel, I don't mean that tongue-in-cheek at all, if you really do know the gospel, then this is my challenge to you. My challenge to you is this week, find somebody and encourage them and remind them of the gospel. And also look for somebody that doesn't know the gospel and remind them, no, you were actually created in the image of God to partake with us in this glorious feast. And so even if it's been the 20th time, 50th time, 100,000th of time that you've shared the gospel with somebody, that you've reminded somebody of the gospel, you don't know when they're going to respond to the gospel, and neither do I. And that's why we continue to share the gospel. So brothers and sisters, we need to pursue a radically different lifestyle of remembering the gospel. Because if we go along just assuming we know the gospel, assuming we know God, It's so easy to start to forget. I'll leave us with this. Um, I believe it's D.A. Carson. He's a, he's a, uh, he teaches and I think is also the chancellor at a, a, a seminary school in Deerfield, Illinois. He says this, As soon as one generation starts to assume the gospel, the next generation loses the gospel. We have an opportunity to make a difference in the Fox Valley. To recapture the glorious beauty of the gospel. To be encouraged and encourage one another with the gospel. To be reminded what God has done for us. He wants to do through us. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this time that we get to gather. That you have called us, your people, to be a set-apart people. To be um, what, what, your, what your servant Peter calls a royal priesthood. Who is serving underneath the great high priest, your son Jesus. And so, my, my prayer, Father, is this. Is that you would cause a stirring in our minds, in our hearts, in our hands. To go out and know you and how you have set us free from slavery so that we can be a people that displays your glory across the Fox Valley to the ends of the world. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.